Hello and welcome back to the Replatform Podcast. It's myself, James, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Paul. Mr. Rogers, how are you doing today, mate? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Uh, we're on a topic today that's, uh, that's close to your heart, given your background in the SEO community. So we are looking at international SEO considerations around the Replatform project. So quite a big, chunky topic. Um, but we're delighted to welcome on... Um, the, probably the most well-known person globally around international SEO, Aleida Solis, from, uh, joining us from Spain today. How are you doing, Aleida? Hello, James. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks very much for joining us. So um, I'll let you introduce yourself uh, uh, properly, but I think it's, I think it's really interesting because you've got such a broad-based uh, experience around e-commerce, not just from an SEO point of view, but that is your core focus around international SEO. You're a consultant. You've worked with a diverse range of businesses, you're a blogger on big um, sites like Search Engine Land. You do regular conference speaking, sharing insights and best practice. Um, and now you also um, co-run uh, Remoters Net. So um, it'd be really useful for our listeners um, who aren't so well-versed in the SEO side. Give a bit of a flavor for, for what your background is and what you focus on. Yes. Well, I am an SEO consultant. Um, that's what I mean. I, I have been doing for a living since... 2007, first in-house agency side to um, then I became independent with my own SEO consultancy since 2014 or so. Uh, since I became independent, also when I, in my last two jobs before that, I started working remotely. So um, that is why I also have this uh, remote uh, type of thing going on and interest. And at some point that also incentivized me to launch Remoters along um, Elisa, who's my partner in the project. We're both SEOs. Uh, but then I have also like actually my day job, my day to day is, is with Orainti, my SEO consultancy is a boutique consultancy. And we work mainly with, um, we tend to be like big brands, consolidated brands that have uh, usually tend to have their own in-house team, their own SEO in-house team. And they reach uh, me because they need some specific support, validation, because they're going through challenges because they are, let's say, like launching new versions in a few new countries or because they need support for a migration uh, type of project, redesign, rebranding, things like that, right? Um, and, um, and yes, we like the type of clients that I work with, they tend to be uh, e-commerce, whether e-commerce, marketplaces, SaaS businesses a lot lately too. Um, and, um, and then startups too, uh, I have to say, uh, quite a few startups that have this like very type of aggressive type of need of, of, of growing very fast. Right. And, um, and besides that, well, I, I really love what I do. I love, I love SEO. So I tend to like to share a lot of what I find, um, useful. So I have, uh, before. Besides giving conferences, right? I before Corona, I was traveling a lot, um, speaking at conferences. I continue to do so online. We don't like conferences, but I also have put more focus on uh, Crawling Monday, which is my YouTube channel, uh, in which I share how tos and also we cover. We go through a lot of SEO topics with um, all the guests, and I also reformat the the YouTube. Um, recording into podcasts in case you're more into podcasts too. And then I also have SEO FOMO, which is a, an SEO newsletter that I send weekly, uh, once per week, uh, to keep everybody updated on what's the latest and new and the best 
in uh, in SEO, right? So I think that that covers a lot of what I yeah. of what yeah, I so do. Very quiet. Just a few things. No, that's fantastic. Thanks. And um, to set the context of people listening who who maybe are are new to the impact of international SEO from a replatform point of view, the reason we asked it later on today is 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 when you're considering replatforming and thinking about the SEO implications and you're working across multiple countries with diff maybe different sites, different languages, there's complexity that's brought into that replatform process that has implications from a technical SEO point of view, from a content structuring, et cetera. And it's really important to understand the things that can make or break your implementation. And that's why we'd, we'd like to have a later on today. So are you ready for some questions, Elena? Yes, yes, let's go. Amazing. Paul, I believe you want to kick off, mate. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I guess just to um, like first question, quite top level, um, from an SEO perspective, how does an international project um, add complexity versus a single country store? From an e yes, yes. Well, in general, when you are doing an SEO process for a single country and a, and and a single language, right? Let that has its own complexity per se, like, yeah, the typical SEO type of complexities. But then of course, like when you start targeting other countries uh, or other languages or other countries that also um, includes audiences that speak many languages. So that adds additional layers of complexity and you can pretty much like you say, okay, it's like if you were doing SEO for, for like another process, uh, another SEO process, because realistically, like if you're targeting another country in another language, literally like the, the, the audience preferences will be different. The, the keywords, the, the search queries will be different. Um, the seasonality might be different. Um, the preferences of, of those audience, audiences will be different. Your pricing might be different. The conditions, can be different. Maybe the descriptions of the products will be the same, but literally you will need to, to hopefully uh, translate and, and, and localize the content to match and connect well with the preferences of those markets. So literally it's like if you were uh, pretty much managing independent, additional independent SEO processes too. So yeah, the, the complexity can, if you're doing an SEO process for, for five markets, for five different countries it's like you were doing five different seo processes great and um and i guess again from an seo perspective we'll obviously go into a lot more detail later on but what are some of the common mistakes you see people make from an international kind of setup perspective oh my there, there are so many <laughs> where do we start so at the beginning um, a very common mistake that I see that uh, companies make is that first they they try to reach everything, right? And this is typical, very also, I have to say, this is very American, right? Like, oh, like I want to go abroad and, and they don't realize uh, that they actually need to take into consideration the resources to to translate and localize the content uh, in the first place that, for example, targeting Latin America as a whole or Europe as a whole is really not recommended first because audiences within each country in Europe, we don't speak the same language in the first place, right? Uh, people in Spain will be speaking and searching in Spanish, in, in, in France, in French and, and so forth, not in English. So you cannot just enable a European version that will be geolocated towards Europe. In fact, the complexity here is that also, even if 
all the, the, the countries will speak the same uh, language. For example, in Latin America, uh, people tend to speak most of them Spanish, right? With a few exception, exceptions. For example, Brazil is Portuguese. But yeah, a lot of them speak Spanish. But even like that, the terms in Spanish, it depends a lot of, on, on, on the industry. But yeah, the, the, the terms can vary a lot. So a language approach is not necessarily the ideal. If you're in one of those industries where the, the, the term the terms, the terminology will change a lot, right? Uh, but even like that, it, let's imagine like if everybody will speak in the exact same way, if you're in those, in those areas where it doesn't literally matter the location, so you can pretty well like uh, language target, um, there's no way for you right now. There's no support from Google to geolocate to a region, right? You whether need to geolocate to a country uh, or, or, or to target languages, right? And, and there's the annotations, like hreflang annotations, you can uh, specify the language in the country. And then of course you can geolocate uh, subdirectories or subdomains to target specific countries too, uh, through the Google Search Console. So that, all that is supported, but unfortunately regional targeting is not supported. And I see a lot of mistake of companies like buying.eus or .asia, thinking that they can by default, right? Just geolocate by publishing content there, uh, and that's it. And no, that tends to generate content duplication issues, right? Then another mistake is, um, for example, in the, with, with, when targeting many different countries abroad, uh, wanting to do it so right away with independent CCTLDs. And of course, CCTLDs like .co.uk, .fr, .es, by default, these are, these are geolocated to each country. And these are the ideal way to target uh, and inter international audiences when you are geolocating, right? Like what, is, what could be better than Target with its own country extension, right? Yes, that, that's, that's, that, that's true. But also at the same time, you need to realize that if you're in a competitive sector and it's very likely that if you're trying to grow like this uh, in an aggressive way, it pretty much you will tend to be very likely in one and with all of the resources, et cetera. Um, there will be already players in those markets, right? That have been like doing their own thing for a while. So you cannot uh, pretend to start competing with them from day zero or from, from uh, at the start, right? At the start, if you start with a property, with a domain that start with zero links at the beginning, right? So, so it, it, it might be the best for geolocation, but it's not necessarily the best if you want to start seeing results fast, if you're in a very competitive sector, right? So for that, I will, and a proper assessment is needed and val validation is needed to first identify if you actually need to, if it is better to geolocate, and if so, um, if it, uh, how, how should you structure the international versions to do it in a way that it is not only well geolocated, and well, and relevant for you, cor correct for you in your particular context, but also that uh, you are able to profit and benefit from your current domain authority to try to leverage your current popularity in order to see results fast. In many, many situations, that will mean that at the beginning, it, it tends to be better unless there are some specific restrictions to, to start with subdirectories and, and geolocate those subdirectories uh, to each one of the markets that you want to, to target. And um, 
and unlike this, you will be able to leverage your current uh, domain authority and, and the popularity that, the, that you may have uh, already and, and see results faster. And then maybe another, also another mistake that I see all the time is the autom automatic redirects, right? I get this questions all the time, even if it is actually documented in Google best practices. It is not recommended to automatically redirect users uh, based on their locations because the Googlebot still today, they, it doesn't crawl from every country, right? So they will tend to come from certain locations, the US um, or from Sweden also a bit. So if you take a look at your log files, you will, you, you observe the log files, you will be able to see there from which IPs they, they come and, 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 and crawl your website. And you will see that it's not all of the countries of, or, or of the world, right? So the problem is like, let's imagine, like let's say that the Google bot, they don't crawl uh, with, with a French IP and you have a French version. So that the Google bot will tend to never see your French version because you will be always redirecting the Google bot to another of, of your different versions, right? So um, instead of doing that, what it is recommended is to, if you want to alert the user that there might be a better version for them uh, rather than the one that they are seeing, like let's say a, a British user end up going to the .com and you want to alert that, that user that there is a .co.uk that is better for that, um, for that scenario for them, right, to go, it, it is better to show a little banner, a little warning in a non-intrusive way saying, hey, we have a version that might be better for you since we are seeing that you're coming from, from the UK. Um, if that's the case, please click here and go to that version, right? And you save that value uh, using cookies. And so like next time that that user come back, it will be refer, it will be redirected to that UK version. Um, but the, the, the redirect will be completely personalized, right? Uh, the Googlebot won't see that. And like that, you will be actually given a personalized experience to the user based on their actual, actual preferences. And you won't be taking the users where they haven't actually asked to go. Um, so that all makes sense. I have a number of follow-on questions to that. So um, the first one, uh, so you talked about uh, GOIP redirects there, which is always a big topic with international SEO. Um, and in the past, well, I've often gone down the route of having like a, an overlay, basically, if a user's IP doesn't match the store they're on to try and force them to the country, usually where they're, uh, based on where they're shipping to, mm -hmm. um, as you say. Um, but I've also had a number of situations where I've had to compromise and I've had a GOIP redirect um, on the .com route, essentially, purely because uh, they get a lot of direct load traffic. Um, one, um, do you think that's okay? I mean, I've seen that to work okay. Um, I've not had any like major issues um, if there's like a 302 redirect just on the one page. And two, mm -hmm. um, is, is there a way where you can implement GYP redirects where you think it's um, it's a bit safer and it can actually work. Well, in the scenario that you mentioned, I actually have a client uh, that has that situation, right? If you need to implement redirects, uh, well, it tends to make a little bit more sense in that particular scenario, right? That you have a .com, the root that 
it's not showing a, a, anything, right? And you rather have, or it's just a country selector, right? And you have all of your version is in, in a dot com slash yes for Spain slash slash GB for the UK and so and so on. And you need or you would like to refer to a user to to any of these other versions. Uh, and if that's the case, and you actually need to do it, so what I will recommend is that you implement your handle to redirect uh, for the user, a temporary redirect. Um, not um, or, or even I will say if you can avoid that like uh, um, uh, JavaScript based redirect um, for the user, but that you don't restrict the crawler, right? That the crawler is not redirected, but only the user. So this is the thing, right? And here we can start debating if this is cloaking or not, <laughs> because of course you the the you you will take the user where you don't take the the crawler. Because you don't want to restrict the the, the the crawler capacity to reach and to go into access to any uh, version of of the website, um, and again, we can also say like if you're not implemented this type of redirects at any other level or area or page of the website, it should be okay because the crawler wouldn't shouldn't be redirected anyway only at this point so yes we can also ask that you can make or do your own tests and validations and see if the impact of that redirect in particular is minimum and should be okay but also uh let's go back to the other other scenario right we can ask that um oh uh, there are purists <laughs> that will say no that is uh cloaking because you're taking the user uh to their to this version because of their IP where they are coming from or, or, or it should be okay to redirect the, the user but not the crawler because at the end of the day the crawler will be also able to go there and, and the context and the incentive uh, is not of manipulation or, or to do something negative but rather than facilitate the user to reach their actual meaningful relevant page or content, right? So, so yes, I will say that this is the, the sort of thing that is important to communicate internally and assess what the decision makers, the stakeholders, what they are actually comfortable to do so, and pros and cons, risks, etc. cetera. Um, and, and, and if we end up implementing the 202 redirect at the root level only and for everybody, what is the type of impact? And for that, the the best is that you yourself measure and validate what do you see in in your web server log file. Like how 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 is the robot really uh, impacted, or is is like the before and after, or are actually any meaningful pages or areas of your website being less crawled because of that, or or is trivial, right? So yeah. At the end of the day, it's up to, to you, uh, as usually in SEO, it depends, right? And uh, on to validating your particular cir circumstance. Makes sense. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, some really good points there. Um, going back to another point you made earlier. So you, um, so we talked about the kind of um, the fallback overlay, essentially. So if someone's on the incorrect store and you're using hreflang and you're not using an IP redirect and you've got a fallback overlay to essentially proactively suggest the correct store, um, so you made the point of it being a non-intrusive banner, but often from a business perspective, so from my perspective, um, for a lot of our clients where we've had to do this, we've essentially really needed to get the user to the correct store because, uh, for example, if you're using like a Shopify or a big commerce, 
chances are uh, the person's account won't exist on um, certain stores. And then you've also got things like the user will, be, will only be able to ship to their preferred location on the correct store. So there's pretty considerable impact for the user and the business to get uh, if the user isn't on the correct store. Um, so I'm usually pretty pro being or not being aggressive, but I guess you, you want to make sure um, that the user actually does click through to the correct store. And even when we've done a really prominent pop-up with a really clear call to action um, based on shipping address, or we've given them the option of selecting their shipping address, um, you know, there's only usually about 60% take up on that pop-up. Um, how, I mean, how big an impact do you think it would have if, you know, in theory, it was quite an intrusive banner. And how important is that? Because I know Google came out and kind of made a point about pop-ups a while back. Um, yeah, how important is that? Well, this is the thing, right? I think that pop-ups per se shouldn't be bad. Uh, depends on how you implement it. This is the thing, right? Like you have the mechanism right, right there, but the issue is how you use that mechanism to incentivize or to push or to nudge your, your user to go where you actually want them to go, right? And if, if it ends up being uh, a black pattern at the end of the day or something intrusive or negative uh, towards the user, right? Um, I understand that there are things that you want to incentivize the user to do or to go to because of the conversion uh, impact of it. Uh, but there's so many creative ways to do that. It's this like the typical conversation of JavaScript. Oh, it's evil for SEO. It depends. It depends on how it is actually implemented, right? Um, the same here. Uh, if you want to push the user to uh, do the checkout at a ver uh, at another version, uh, well, we can argue and we could and we should. And this is the thing. We should test. And this is why, for example, if the challenges of these types uh, with clients. Um, I like to work together and sit together with the conversion person taking care of this or the UX person working on, on the project and, and come up with different hypotheses or what are the different ways to implement this, at which different layers of the website which uh, ways the pop-up will will come up at what level it, it, it is when the the user is uh, signing in or registering to 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 buy something right when they have decided that it, it, or at, in which levels of the conversion journey can we incentivize the user to actually switch to to the right version how do we do it so right so from an SEO perspective I really don't care if you switch the user try to switch the user when they are actually signing in or registering to buy the product, right? The, the Google bot won't see that. I, I don't care. Do whatever you want, right? Like that is, a, uh, that is beyond a little bit of my, my reach as an SEO and has to do more with, with the user experience and, and conversion, right? So we can arc and we can go through the different levels and layers and, and ways and, and, and touch points where we can actually make that happen. And what I try to do as an SEO is literally is like try to allow that the business and the, the, the people trying to, to make this happen, right? To, to maximize conversions. They do it so in a way that doesn't damage the website crawlability and, and, uh, and relevance and search experience also for the user. I got a question related to, to um, when you're running uh, in multiple sites and therefore you're potentially cutting across different search engines. Because I think typically still a lot of people see SEO as right, let's get visible in Google. 
yeah, when you're operating internationally, obviously there are other markets that have market-specific engines like Baidu, Yandex, et cetera. And I, I know that you've got a lot of experience working across different types of search engines. So from what the project you worked on, what have you learned about site launches where you have to have like, sites optimized for non-Google search engines? These are really uh, interesting and important questions. So this is the thing that I think that we can actually have like a... a, a a whole, a whole uh, conversation about the the differences and non differences. But I have to say, like for example, there are search engines like, let's say Yandex, uh, to target the Russian market. Even if right now it's very split. Like many years ago, Yandex had a, a much higher share in the market. Right now, like it's very even with Google. But in general, we can see as Yandex trying to replicate a little bit of what Google is doing in terms of, of, of the SERPs, of search results, the way that they display results, the format of, of search results, um, the in general, the way that their algorithm work and, and the signals that they take into consideration, we know very well in the SEO world that they are much more open and flexible regarding certain type of link spam <laughs> to manipulate things, um, but um, and are not as strict as Google, but we can also arc, also, and this is also important to know, that Google doesn't exactly work in the exact same way in every single country for that matter, right? Like the pages that, for example, are able to rank in the first position in very small countries of non-English language. It's like, let's say, from my home country, Nicaragua, I am originally from Nicaragua, like the pages that you will see ranking in the top positions in Nicaragua sometimes are not even Nicaraguan because the web ecosystem is not well-developed, right? And there's many ranking there in the top positions that are clearly doing link spam or, uh, you know, following link patterns and not even in some... So, 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 so small markets, but even like in big markets in Latin America, you will see that uh, many of the big players are still doing certain things that in no way will, Google will allow to uh, these properties or the same type of properties to rank well in Europe or in the US for other languages with a web ecosystem or in countries with web ecosystem much more mature where they have higher type of, of filters or restrictions, let's say. Um, but why they do it or why they allow it in these smaller countries? Because they need to, because if they if they don't, if they apply the same rules that they apply in the US, they wouldn't have any website to rank. <laughs> and that's it, right? So they need to be reasonable and balancing things out, right? So um, now clarifying this. So let's go back to Yandex. Yandex, realistically, uh, they try to replicate uh, in the way that Google works. They might be a little bit more flexible, but then we have all the search changes that are completely different, right? Like, uh, South Korea with neighbor, right? Like even the SERPs are different. And, and they, they rely also a lot on, on their own, um, let's say like platforms to populate search results. So they have these neighbor cafes, which are some sort of their own blog platforms. Think about Blogspot, for example. But it's like if Google were blending search results with their own blog post type of websites or blog post based websites, things like that, right? So even the, the, the layout, the, the way that um, the search results are displayed from where they take search results, also not necessarily in a, it, relying on third part like web 
external websites only, right? But also relying on on their own on their own platforms or services too. So it's completely different. And for this type of projects, I will definitely like refer. I have, for example, I know people in South Korea doing great work there, like based there actually, who really knows the market. And something similar happened uh, with Baidu in the in the Chinese market. I had the great opportunity last year to go to China. I went actually to do um, a little bit of SEO training in uh, Alibaba um, in the team that is targeted or was targeted towards the, the Western market. But I also had the opportunity uh, after that to go to another conference in Shenzhen. I actually met SEOs, Chinese SEOs that were doing SEO for Baidu targeted towards China. And oh my God, that is another word. That is another word. And, and again, it's not only that in that case, the, the way that the results are displayed might be or might not be different or the reliance on the wrong platforms or web-based content too. Uh, but uh, that literally like Baidu, uh, they don't have the level of, of transparency. And this is funny because we complain about Google transparency with uh, their algorithm, but literally, <laughs> I mean, if you go to China, you will see things in a different light, right? And I, I definitely do after being there. Uh, and I have to say, people who who have a little bit more understanding and are more sophisticated in search, in fact, they have actually stopped relying on Baidu to search for things if they want to actually blend that reasonable, clear uh effective type of, of answers and they rely more on, and I forget the name, but it's like their version of Quora. They actually go and prefer to search uh, in a Q&A type of platform for, for, for information. And then of course, uh, the reliance on, on, on WeChat and, and, and mobile apps to, as, as, as an ecosystem in itself to buy, to, to search, to, to, to connect with each other, but not only to socialize, but to actually buy. You go and you're, you're walking uh, on a mall or in the street in, uh, in Shanghai and literally you, you, you scan a QR code with, uh, with the, the integration that it has in WeChat and you go di- directly to the WeChat profile of that store and you can buy stuff there or to pay for stuff actually with the WeChat payment system. So it's another word and it's another type of ecosystem, very, very different. So the rules that you use for, for Google don't apply at all. In fact, because of also the, the firewall, the great firewall, you actually need to host your website there, have a local IP, uh, ideally have a .cn to, uh, to be able to rank at all there. And pretty much when you ask uh, Chinese SEOs how to do uh, SEO for Baidu, they literally say, okay, let's start talking about your advertisement uh, uh, budget to start doing a little bit of pay search too, right? So, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, China is an interesting one. It's the same for e-com, really. Like, it's so unconventional compared to the rest of the world in terms of like channels and stuff and payments. Yeah, as you say. Um, moving on to hreflang. So I thought I'd ask quite a specific question to you based on something that I had the other day that I thought was quite interesting. So um, I was working with a client and their hreflang implementation came up. They are introducing some new stores. Um, so they essentially were going to end up with, they have an e, uh, a UK store, which currently ships globally, and then they're going to end up with an EU store and a US store. Um, and they're introducing one new warehouse with, uh, the long-term potential of introducing a third warehouse. And essentially 
the way that they were uh, like kind of splitting out the shipping countries was pretty even across these three stores. So EU would have all of the European stores. The US would be US and rest of world essentially. Um, and then UK had a few of the, I think it was the Middle Eastern countries as well. So overall it was quite split in terms of value and the number of countries. Um, and because they're all English speaking, I mean, it just ended up being quite tricky in terms of how you would assign the X default and things like that. Um, yeah. How would you, how would you handle a situation like this? Like what would you end up prioritizing and prioritizing and how would you look at it? I mean, would you go back to the business and say, you know, you need like a bit of a fallback or, um, or would you kind of implement um, hreflang? So you're targeting like key uh, territories. Like how would you approach something like this? Yeah, one question. Uh, are these the three stores in English only or in really English? Yeah, correct. The three in English, right? And the one that is the, the one that is considered to be the global one, whenever someone searches uh, from, let's say, Australia, which which is the so that's the thing. Like, there isn't really a global one. So in the end, the outcome of this was I ended up pushing back, and we did assign a global store, which ended up being the X default. But it was quite yeah. it was quite an interesting scenario because yeah. there wasn't an obvious X default. Like the exactly. value was pretty much split evenly across the three yeah. stores. So the, the 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 two things here. The first one is that you have an EU store only in English, right? Uh, literally, um, that is very tricky to map out or to tag with HFLang annotations because literally, if you want to target all English speakers across the EU you will need to start doing uh, something like, um, for example, um, English speakers in Spain, right? Yeah. Uh, so you, you will need to go something like ENES, ENFR, ENRT. So you specify the language and the country uh, for, the, for, your, for your EU page. So any um, English speaker who search from those countries, they will see that version, right? Um, and, and, and that, of course, like is, instead of having a single tag for a single country, since you have a group of countries there, you will need to uh, end up like mapping out with, I don't know, how many actual European markets you want to target with that particular EU version, right? Like five or six, plus the UK one, plus the US one, right? So it can easily go out of hands. So what I will actually do here is to check which are the actual pages that you have issues with? Realistically, Azure Blank Annotations, what is one way, one way, not the only way, to tell Google which is the right page that they need to uh, um, show in search results, right? So if literally you don't have this issue of overlays or a page ranking in a country that it shouldn't, then this shouldn't be priority number one, right, in the first place. Um, I can see that in that particular scenario that you're mentioning, you will tend to have issues because of the European version. For the .com, you can, and if you want to really push the .com to the, to the US, you can actually geolocate it if you want, or, or you can use it uh, like generic, like .com for the US or whatever other country. If you have the, the British version in a .uk, by default, it will be geolocated to the UK. Or if, if it is under a .com slash GB, you can geolocate it to the UK to, through the Google Search Console with that particular specific um, directory geolocation, right? The issue comes when, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, where the regional targeting, right? There's no way to geolocate 
the EU version as a whole uh, to each one of these particular countries uh, within the EU that you want to target. But the mechanism or the workaround here will be to use Azure Plan Annotations to literally map <laughs> or tag every single country for English in this case that you want to target in the EU. And because this literally will multiply the number of tags that you need to add per page, what I even like, even if it is specifying the same URL for all of this values, right, for the EU, um, what I would recommend is that you actually only implement Azure Plan Annotations for those pages that have overlay issues. Those pages from the EU version that you see ranking in the US, that you see ranking in, uh, in the UK, that you see ranking in countries where it shouldn't be ranking. So go to your Google Search Console, go to Href, go to SEMrush, uh, and start seeing which are those pages from your stores that you're seeing that are ranking in, in countries that they shouldn't, right? And go and map those particular pages with their alternates. Focus and start prioritizing those that actually have issues. And those pages that actually tend to have issues in e-commerce websites are not necessarily um, like particular products URLs that have a high, like, like, like the inventory life cycle is very quick. The, they don't tend to stay much. Also, you tend to not necessarily have the exact same products across all of the countries anyway. So trying to map them is crazy. And I tend to really try to avoid that if possible, because it will end up triggering lots of non-return issues also because the life cycle uh, and the inventory life cycle is different across different countries. So when one is available, the other one, and it will be redirected. So it's crazy. I wouldn't do that. I will try to prioritize the implementation of Azure Plan Annotations using, first, those pages that actually have issues between them. Secondly, uh, the, the most important pages of my website, the, the homepage, top categories, top second level categories and, and so on, right? Those pages that will be there, those that will tend to have alternates across all of the different versions and, and that will be worthy to actually map and do this effort on because these are pages that are targeting actually and ranking for um, non-trivial type of, 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 of searches that will bring a lot of value in the, in the long run and are, are not like one-off products that, yeah, <laughs> they're targeting very... Uh, long tail type of terms, right? Very specific. But but there's something important here to have very, very, very clear. And that doesn't, it's, it's, I mean, and that is not a decision that will be made because of SEO. It's, you need, you need to have some clear guidelines regarding targeting, uh, which is the version that you want to push for the rest of the world that you are not targeting. Uh, I don't know, I don't know. No, your client needs to know. Because your map, your implementation uh, will only reflect the targeting that your client needs to give you. And that is a decision that will need to be made because of business <laughs> reasons, not necessarily because of SEO, right? So the first thing, and this is also very important, that I see also a lot of um, companies going with a bad uh, an overlay type of, of, of targeting in terms of, uh, it's because they don't know if they're actually targeting sometimes even languages or countries or, uh, or you have a global version and you have a EU version, but you also have this other version. What, which is the version that should be shown as default? I don't know. No, you should know. You should specify that. And everything else will reflect this decision on targeting, but it's a logical or business type of targeting. It's operational targeting, right? It's, it's, the, and, the, and the tag will only ref reflect that. But it's important that that is very clear in the first place.
Um, one more like little sub question, and then I'm going to hand over to James. So there's something you mentioned there. Um, so if you're working with um, a platform, or even if you're not working with a platform, something we've had to do quite a lot of is creating like indexes where you essentially, if you've got independent stores and there's no kind of uh, global product ID, for example, and you've got products that are available in one or multiple stores, but not in another, um, you, you can obviously end up with nuances that need to be handled by like some form of matrix or like kind of global hierarchy. Um, in a scenario where you've got a product that's only available in one store, would you not reference hreflang at all? Or would you leave hreflang with just a single reference, I guess? It's not needed. It's not re needed. Uh, and, and indeed, if, if it is only in a single store, why you don't need to add anything in hreflang? It's only for one store. And even if that page ends up ranking in another market, in another country, I mean, <laughs> what? Uh, there's no issue. It's the only one that you have. So you're not able to refer to anything that is better or more relevant for the user in any case, right? And maybe that potentially will allow you to identify that there's a need in an external market that you're not yet targeting as you should and potentially also give you like more vision that you potentially should need to enable these products across other markets too because there's actually a, a need for it um, in those markets too. So yes, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't add extra plan annotations for this uh, pages that exist in a single version. It's, it's a waste of effort. I think that's nice. So giving people some advice on when not to go to, to trouble to do things and stop wasting time because there's so many things you can do that you need to focus. So it's really interesting to hear that advice. Uh, we've covered lots of uh, interesting areas, Aleda, and, and in some great detail. And it leads me on to one key question, which is if there is complexity and there are challenges and nuances and not every setup is the same because companies' needs are different. So how do you approach uh, um, like post and uh, pre-launch and post-launch checklist from an international SEO point of view, like what should e-commerce teams be focusing on immediately before and after launch? Yes, that is a great question. Well, actually I, I, I tend to align as like a, a typical validation before and after whenever anything is launched in SEO, uh, whether technical or content, right? Uh, it is important to have a really good uh, coordination with the company workflow, for example, as much as can be automatically validated in the platform, within the platform, the, the best it is, right? So for example, whenever you are, uh, let's say, um, changing the URL for some reason of, 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 uh, of a top category or something like that, um, that automatically the Azure Blank annotation uh, URL is also uh, updated as well as the canonical tags and, and all the internal links going to these pages and the XML sitemap is refreshed to reflect this change and everything is aligned and validated accordingly, right? And, and, and updated accordingly, right? So you don't need to validate manually or to do that even manually, but these changes happen automatically within the platform. So the more this type of, of updates can be uh, automated directly within the platform, the best it is. Also, what uh, the 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 person populating or, or or updating can or can cannot do, right? Like, oh, changing the URL of, uh, or publishing two three products um, across 
many different categories uh, using different URLs, right? No, <laughs> a product should be only reachable and accessible and indexable through a single URL that, yes, can be assigned to different categories up to a certain limit. And this is automatically validated through the, through the CMS, right? Through the platform directly without, without having to someone actually know or understand about this. But then also there is the, the human layer, right? And I will say that it's critical to do really good evangelization, to provide checklists of things to check, to validate, to verify from a content perspective and, and, and from a technical standpoint to whatever access the person has, uh, not only to developers, uh, but also the person who's managing the website and updating the content, the images, the product, oh, the, the, is, is the image name uh, or the, the all description relevant or the, the metadata of each page, this type of thing is important to provide uh, a checklist on one hand. And, and then, of course, the additional automatic validation that can happen at, at the platform uh, directly uh, in an automated way. And then, of course, for structural changes and important meaningful changes and releases that you do with the development team, it is important to have a, a test and run man where you can actually test uh, in an accurate way what you are releasing and an actual test environment that actually reflects what is in production because oh my god i have this number of clients that they supposedly have a test environment but it doesn't necessarily reflect what what it is in 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 in, in production right so it's important that it's something that actually reflects some uh, test environment also that it's really non-reachable uh non-reachable uh from outside that is important that doesn't rely only on a robots txt to do this uh but actually requires authentication etc to avoid um indexing anything that you shouldn't um and then properly do tests there and once that that is done then launch and then do another full crawl of the website once the changes are, are done. So it's important to have this workflow going and no one understands. So for example, every Tuesday there's a launch going on. So you know that you will be able to test in, a, in, the, in the test environment on, on Friday and Monday before. And you have up to this time on Monday to say something if you don't want this to be released. Otherwise it will be released on, on Tuesday and you, after this time on Tuesday, you will you can set and schedule a crawl on the website so the website can be crawled weekly after the release and you will go directly there uh the next day and and see if all is correct as you want it or not right so it's important to have this workflow going on a good validation and alignment with the team and to do this also this QA process before any type of release too and of course besides that i will say um you cannot assume that things will go well at any case or won't, won't be rewritten or maybe you're focusing on checking maybe, I don't know, at this point, the implementation of Azure annotations, but somehow somebody touches or messes something with XML timeups or with any other configuration that you're not paying attention for. Um, so for that, I will highly recommend to also have like an SEO alert systems uh, well in place. Um, for example, a system like the one of Little Warden or Content King that will warn me whatever a critical configuration that I have set is changed on the website. If the canonical tag is changed, the robots.txt, uh, meta robots, um, the, the, the Azure Flang annotations, whatever in the configuration of the code of, or, or the content, main content, metadata also, of key important pages of my websites are changed, I am sent an alert or I can int even integrate that with my Slack system or PM system that I can, that I might be using 
using with the project. Um, and then, of course, alerts for, for with your own tracking or, or, or Google Analytics to be, to be alerted if your traffic suddenly drops from certain areas of your website more, in more than a certain percentage. And the same with, with the rankings, right? To be a little bit more proactive and to be, um, you know, all, all the time, like alerted in, in case that something goes, uh, something wrong goes goes really badly in a way that you didn't expect that and nobody else did also. Yeah, I think that's yeah, some really, really useful points for people to follow. And, and typically of those areas where you, you've said like key things to keep an eye on, what's the area that, that you find trips people up the most? Where do they, they tend to like um, have, you know, under appreciate the impact of things? Well, I, the, the, actually the other day I started that, um, Twitter thread a little bit and a Q and A Twitter going on, sharing like which was the technical SEO side of things that were more, um, let's say overlooked. And yeah, yeah. that is also high impact area. And I will say that in most cases will be internal linking. Internal linking is, especially for e-commerce website, is, is, is critical. And sometimes I find that those top pages meant to be ranked pages sometimes are very underlinked and then on the other on the other hand there are this massive navigation that literally links to some pages or some even facets that are not even indexable in the first place or are canonicalized or not indexed and it's like why you want to send a link there in the first place in a such a prominent way and then to this other how to section or brand pages that you have or offers, you're not linking almost at all or sending into and sending and you're not sending the proper relevant internal link popularity to these pages, right? So it's important to check very well uh, your internal linking, hierarchy, your, your logic towards it, your cross-linking between pages and also how much actually how you, you're linking this level different levels of facets filter pages uh in your website to see if if it is really consistent with their indexing in the first place and to avoid sending internal impopularity and wasting crawlability in pages that are not even meant to be ranked sometimes yeah fantastic and um obviously we, we've talked about a lot of things that, that have uh you know uh, complexity to them and and there's only so much we can cover in one episode so if people want to reach out to you and potentially discuss a project or get into more detail on one of the topics what's the best way of contacting you yes well my website aledasolis.com and i am also very active in twitter at aleda at aleda they can reach me there um, ask me any question i'm more than happy to to help as much as i as i can and um and uh, also of course, SEO FOMO, uh, my SEO newsletter, if you want to keep updated with any SEO news. And Crawling Mondays, if you want to learn more about SEO, I tend to share all what I know over, over there too. Yeah, I think, I think for those people who are at the coalface doing SEO, the Crawling Mondays is, is well worth following. I've, I've, I've listened to a few of them. They're very useful. Uh, and you always are super enthusiastic, which is good because uh, it's one of the key things when listening to somebody talk, isn't it? Is, is knowing that they actually care about what they're talking about. Um, the other thing I think just before we, we close off is we talked about um, yeah, RemotusNet that you co-founded and, and now that we're in a, a COVID world where lots of people are working from home, I think it'd be quite useful to, to, to finish off with telling people a bit more about what, what can they get. So people who are remote working, whether it's freelance or their employees remote working, what, what can people get from the remotus.net site? 
Yes, thank you very much, uh, actually, for this. So remoters.net is a hub about remote work. You have uh, a free job board, so it's completely free for companies to post their adverts there, um, and also for users, of course. We have a how-to section with loads of uh, resources and checklists about how to start working remotely, the best uh, way to do it so in a way, or to be like working from home without you know, being unhealthy, things like that. Very actionable advice also from people uh, from all over who have been doing this already for a while. I have an interview section in which I have interviewed people from, let's say, HubSpot that they have been working remotely for many years and or, or hybrid in a hybrid mode, right? And they don't even realize. Uh, and, 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 um, and also we have a section uh, about remote tools and services um, for people to, Check, for example, if they want to start using a virtual workspace. There are already many solutions out there that is not Slack and, and Zoom, literally. Like there are many more sophisticated, very well integrated solutions for virtual workplaces or, uh, or global remote hiring too, like the proper payroll type of HR type of solutions, uh, focus on, on dealing with this type of complexities too already. Um, and, and we also have a co-living section that was, I have to say, much more popular right in the time where people actually were was able to travel and go around like a digital nomad, right? So, but in general, we have, I think, a little bit of everything to allow people who wants to work remotely, whether at home or from whatever they want to, to do it so in an effective way, right? Like, and, and not only to, for people, but also for companies too. Cool, yeah, I think it's great. And I, I love the interviews you do with people who've been doing this, different perspectives. I think it helps people to understand um, some of the challenges and, and some of the benefits of working from, from home and doing remote. Um, Lady, it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I, I found that personally found it really interesting because you know I'm not an SEO specialist like yourself, so I always learn things when I listen to you talk. I'm sure our listeners have got a, a wealth of knowledge and an insight from from this episode. So, really appreciate you taking the time to to come on. Excellent. No, thank you very much for inviting me. It has been a great to be able to ask. Uh, to be asked questions not from the typical SEO perspective too. So I have really. Uh, I have really enjoyed it. Thank you for, for the experience. Yeah, and thanks as always for everyone for listening and stay tuned for the uh, next episode. <laughs>